This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHP in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we get into the world of your mind in sports and how it affects us on and off the athletic field. You know, I've been lucky enough to be in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. Just uh, last week was the anniversary of my uh, 40th year of receiving my doctorate and Love doing what I do. I've been on the radio for 30 years, the last 20 here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And as you know, our shows are podcasted all over the place on all the apps. And we talk about the mental aspect of sports on this show, how it affects us on and off the athletic field. I've been fortunate enough to have worked with so many wonderful people throughout my career, from Olympic, professional, collegiate, high school, youth sport athletes and coaches and parents I was lucky enough to be part of the 1984 Olympic cycling team where we won nine medals in Los Angeles, and I've worked with them for a number of years. I've worked with a number of professional teams. I'm one of the first sports psychologists with baseball team with the Kansas City Royals, first sports psychologist at the University of Kansas back in 1981 uh, when sports psychology was in its infancy, and I've been lucky enough throughout my career to have talked with so many great people who play sports, who participate in the, in athletics. And it's been a privilege to do what I do. And a lot of this is because of a woman who I'm going to mention here for a moment, my mother. She'll be turning 90 years old this week. And, of course, I wouldn't be here without her. And I just want to thank Dorothy Duncan, who is one of the most amazing people I've ever known, who taught me so much about values, about life, about people. But one of the things my mom taught me, maybe more than anything else, was about the word respect. Respect people. Respect the people you work with. Respect the people you talk to. And treat people the way you want to be treated. So, Mom, love you. Happy birthday this week, number 90. And keep going strong. And in light of that, Today we're going to talk about humanity. Today we're going to talk about people, not just sports. As we know, the last two weeks of the Olympics, there have been so many incredible stories. And I told my clients as the Olympics began, one of the things to look at and focus on in the interviews with athletes and coaches and parents after competitions were over was the word confidence. You'd hear people talk about it if they were successful. You'd hear people talk about it if they weren't successful. 
I like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. So what is a stronger mind? What does that mean? We have seen in these Olympics humanity. We've seen incredible acts of sportsmanship. And we've also seen the human side of people. As you know, Simone Biles took herself out of the team competition because she didn't feel right. She had the twisties, and she used the term, terminology, mental health. Now, unless you know Simone Biles personally, which basically none of us do, you don't know what's going on with her. You don't know how she's feeling. Having worked with gymnasts my entire career, my internship at San Diego State was with the men's tennis team and women's gymnastics team, and I've worked with a number of gymnasts, gymnasts since then. One of the things I've learned to respect about these young ladies and some men that I've worked with, but mostly young women, you put your body in positions that's not supposed to be in. And you're flying through the air in a number of events. Well, actually, in all of them, you fly through the air at some point twisting and turning, then you have to land. I've dealt with so many young girls who have fears, fears of failure, fears of getting hurt, fears of letting people down, their parents down, their teammates down, and their coaches down. And there are a lot of coaches in the world of gymnastics, as we know, who are not very ethical. There have been a lot of issues with it, well-documented. There have been a lot of serious injuries in this sport. There's a lot of psychological issues in this sport. Thank you, Dr. Larry Nasser, for what you've done because you exposed yourself and all the, the, the sickness that you participated in. Simone Biles showed humanity. She has been criticized in ways that I couldn't believe by withdrawing. And not participating in the team event. Why? I mean, I, I, I read and listened to an article and a podcast by a guy just insulting her and calling her incredibly sick names because she took herself out of competition. You know what? I've talked forever on this show about how athletes are people. Athletes are people. They have feelings. They have thoughts. They have emotions. They get hurt. They laugh. They cry. They feel. They may be physically superior to all of us in a lot of ways, but they're still human beings and they have issues. And because of that, they have the right to make decisions about what they want to do. Simone Biles took herself out of competition because she didn't feel right. She was scared for her physical safety of getting hurt. And I have the utmost respect for her for what she did. And these people who've criticized her have absolutely no business doing that. You know, she was criticized saying things, people are saying things like, well, you're not a you're not a strong person. You're weak, uh, insulting her, calling her 
giving her psychological terms that do not apply to her. They apply to them. That's called projection. When you say something about somebody else, you mean about yourself. I've talked forever on this show about the issue of mental health in sports, the psychological issues that we all have to deal with. Athletes have to deal with these things just as much as anybody else, but they're in the public spotlight. Their physical performances are evaluated, and if they have feelings, they're criticized. We're going to talk with Dr. Carla Edwards, psychiatrist who works with the Canadian Olympic teams. In a few moments, we're going to talk with her about this because I'd like to get her opinion as well. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. Our topic today, black homeownership, or should I say the abysmally low level of black homeownership in the United States today. Here we are in 2021, and black homeowners have not recovered from the foreclosure crisis of 2008. A white high school dropout is more likely to own a home than a black college graduate. It's a dispiriting conversation. This notion of racism and resistance to black homeownership is so baked into the system. At least that's my takeaway. For more, watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. 
your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And as you know, I've been here on the radio for 30 years in Kansas City. Our shows are podcast around the country. I've been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist, and as I've been saying in our intro, I've worked with athletes forever, Olympians, collegiate, professional, youth sports. Athletes are human beings. They have feelings. They have emotions, just like anybody else. Just because they can run faster and jump higher and hit balls farther and throw touchdown passes farther and shoot more free throws in a row than the rest of us doesn't mean they don't have feelings. I've talked about it for years on this show, and... The Olympics have now, it's the world of tennis with Naomi Osaka at the French Open in Wimbledon, and now Simone Biles have shown more than anything else you can be the best you are. And hey, I've got feelings too. So joining me now is Dr. Carla Edwards. She's a psychiatrist in Canada who does a lot of the same things I do. Dr. Edwards, thanks for joining me this morning. I appreciate you being with us. Good morning, Dr. Jacobs. I appreciate the invitation. It's nice to be here. Well, I read the article you wrote about Simone Biles last week, and I thought I need to get you on my show because you and I are totally in sync with what we think about this. Why do you think Simone Biles got criticized so heavily for doing what she did? I think, you know, people really lose of the humanity of the person behind the glitz and the glamour and the glory. You know, we, we see the ads where, I mean, people like Simone Biles can do just amazing things. And I'm, I'm not even going to say superhuman. We use that word a lot to describe athletes. And I think that may actually contribute to some of the lost humanity here because they are human. They're, they're humans doing amazing athletic feats, you know, just to put it in, in real terms. But, uh, you know, we, we only... The brain will see what it's shown, right? And if it's constantly shown a person doing incredible things, and if that's associated with superlatives and terminology that sets them apart and always puts them on that pedestal, then that's what everybody's going to hear and everybody's going to see. So I think, you know, the, the media plays a part in this and the press and um, sponsorships and, and all of the behind-the-scenes things that you and I know goes on that not maybe the average person understands that these athletes are actually required to do a lot of these press thoughts and sponsorship uh, appearances and things like that. And I think their identity uh, as a human being gets lost a little bit in that. I think one of the worst things that's happened to sports, and it's also a great thing, is social media. What do you think about that? 
I agree with you. And, uh, you know, these are young people and the and young athletes are swept up in that tide, right? So they're, they're brought up in that generation where it's how you connect with people and it's how you meet people and it's how you make relationships. And then it becomes how you promote yourself. And, and again, with these sponsorship opportunities, they're required to post a certain number of social media things about themselves and there's rules at the Olympic Games around what you can post and how long it can be posted for. So to a certain extent, uh, a whole section of their lives becomes ruled by social media. But it it's, uh, it can be a positive thing, but it can be a really, really negative thing. And we, we've seen some stories emerge from the Olympic Games where they talk about you know, some medal winners who intentionally stayed away from social media through the entire staging camp and and the Olympics themselves in order to tune out a lot of those things. And, you know, I I did some work with uh, one of our greatest Olympians, Haley Wickenheiser, here in Canada. I mean, she was a medical student. She was my resident, or she was my medical student. And she would say to some of my athletes, you know, in social media, you're never as good as they say, and you're never as bad as they say. So it's better to limit it and, and really not buy into it too much because it can really, it can really rule your life. I, well, you and I are totally in sync on that. Joining me is Dr. Carla Edwards. She's a psych- psychiatrist in Canada, sports psychiatrist who does a lot of the same work that I do with athletes. She's worked with all kinds of Canadian Olympians and top Canadian athletes. And, and, and along these lines, Carla, I was the team psychologist for the Kansas City Royals in 1990, one of the first full-time sports psychologists in baseball. I got to know somebody superhuman named Bo Jackson. And... You know, there, mm-hmm. there's probably, in my opinion, the greatest athlete of modern time. I mean, Bo Jackson literally could do almost I anything. I, I agree. I saw him do yeah. a lot of it. And I saw him laugh. I saw him cry. I saw him, you know, get dressed. I saw him eat. He's a human being. Yeah. He had feelings, and we talked about that a lot. We discussed that, how the pressure, you know, he used to get criticized all the time by people because he played football and baseball. And he used to tell me, Doc, I don't really care what they say. Because it's about what I think. And for great athletes, aren't they able, Carla, to be able to do that, to to block out all that stuff and really focus on themselves? But they do have a point where the humanity catches up with them, don't they? Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is dictated by developmental milestones. So at what age are they suddenly thrust into that spotlight? And do they have the the maturity and the cognitive development to be able to manage that? And do they have the right people in their corner to help them manage that? And I think that's uh, what a lot of our young superstars are falling prey to. We have 14, 15, 16-year-olds winning Olympic medals um, and being thrust into stardom, and they're not ready for that. I've seen many Olympians emerge from, uh, you know, winning medals at 16, and suddenly they have to return to a completely different life and it can it can destroy some of them again without the right support it can it can lead them down a very you know not fun pathway if they don't have the right people in their corners but I think one of the things that we need to do in sport is prepare them better prepare the young ones better for what to expect help them have that base work with their families to help them know what to expect but an athlete who comes into it a little bit later, and I mean, Bo Jackson was incredible. I remember I, I really enjoyed watching him. You know, he 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 seemed like he he could manage a lot of the stuff, and he had a really good foundation to to wave through a lot of that stuff. And well, excuse me, cool. his his wife is a child psycho- psycho- psychologist. So oh, beautiful. There you go. Beautiful. He had the support at home. Exactly. 
Yes, yeah. and and he was balanced. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I had the privilege mm-hmm. to get to know him. He was a very balanced person. He raised three kids, and he took care of them. Yeah. He he understood, and he was a, he was you know a lot of people don't realize he was so smart. He was able to figure this stuff out. But you and I work in an area, and I'm one of the first sports psychologists in the United States trained to do this. I can't tell you how many times I've been told you're not going to get hired because we don't believe in this, we don't need this. When I started working 40 years ago, I interviewed a local school, colleges in the Kansas City area. One athletic director at one of the schools there said, I don't believe in hocus-pocus and witchcraft. I stopped at the United States Olympic Training Center on my way home, Colorado Springs, and I was told by the assistant head of sports medicine, we don't need any of you PhD types running around here telling us what's wrong with our athletes. This has all changed now, but not totally, correct? Not totally. Not totally. Yeah, I've heard the same things within the last year. Now, here in Canada, I sort of had the same pioneering pathway as yourself uh, in the psychiatry world up here. There wasn't a lot of sports psychiatry going on, and it's something that I knew I wanted to do, as, you know, coming from my athletic background. But, uh, you know, I've, I, in the, within the last year, I've had uh, physicians, sports medicine physicians of nas- national team programs asking me if there are questionnaires that we could that they could use to screen out athletes who have mental mental health challenges so that they don't have to quote deal with it uh or deal with the problems you know when when they're struggling and i also had a highly decorated coach say to me uh when i in my very first conversation with him about four years ago when i joined swimming canada you know, quote uh you know hey doc i don't believe in this psychology bs or mental health Mumbo jumbo, and I just want to let you know up front that I'm not uh, going to be a part of this. And uh, it's a it's a real shame because you know these are some of the people that are pivotal in the roles of taking care of athletes. And if they're getting that message, then it's going to be a real hindrance to the athletes being able to get support. Yeah, I, I've I've had jobs that I have not been rehired for because administrative changes. Uh, people, there's a major league manager who came in and didn't believe what I did got rid of me he didn't believe it he says it's a bunch of bs like you said i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs joining me today is dr carla edwards she's a sports psychiatrist in canada she's also a hall of fame athlete in volleyball herself we're going to continue this conversation after we come back from our break and we're going to talk about confidence we're going to talk about focusing but we're talking about the role of mental health in sports i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs this is the sports psychology hour This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. Our topic today, gun culture in America and how it may be tied to other issues in America, such as possibly white supremacy. We've had great guests, rich content, At least for me, clarity about why the Second Amendment in our Constitution matters so much to so few. And the frustrating thing for me was to learn that over 90% of Americans really want to do something about the proliferation of guns, want background checks and the like, and yet here we are still fighting it. It's so dispiriting for me to watch those kids from Parkland who took up the cause And here we are, we just ignore them. For more, 
Watch State of Play TV Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central on the Black News Channel or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the US Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports, and today my guest is Dr. Carla Edwards. She's a sports psychiatrist in Canada who does a lot of the same things that I do working with athletes. And, Carla, let me ask this question, okay? Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka both talked about withdrawing from their, their competitions because of the term mental health. Now, when I look at this, I look at mental health and sports in a variety of areas. You've got the, the whole over, overriding issue of mental health, just what it is, but then you've got 
I, I see see it three areas. There's there's performance enhancement, sports psychology work where we work with athletes, helping them to concentrate and focus and deal with confidence, things like that. There's general counseling issues, just about life issues that you got to deal with, and then there's dealing with specific severe types of psychological or psychiatric issues. Um, is the is the term mental health just sort of lumped together with all that for for a lot of athletes? And maybe we need to be more specific because I I we don't know. I don't, you may not know some mental bios. I certainly don't. But I think it sounded like it was more of a mindset issue with her fear of doing the twisties and what could happen than maybe severe depression or something like that. You know, I think it is a catch-all term that's often lumped together, and oftentimes here in Canada, anyway, we'll see it put together with mental health and performance as a program because uh, again, it's trying to justify funding and uh, not a lot of people in sport yet recognize that mental illness is actually uh, present and uh, can interfere to a large degree. But um, so I, I think they are separate things. But, uh, you know, if, if we want to make it more acceptable and put it under mental health, that's fine with me as long as we get, rec- you know, if we're able to get the help that we need within that. With the, with the small vials story and other high-profile stories that come out, of course, we get snippets of information along the way, and it changes a little bit sometimes. And, you know, I remember the first, I was in Tokyo when this was breaking. I was there with the Canadian team, and, uh, you know, the initial discussions that came out from Small Biles was more slanted towards the mental illness side of things, where she talked about realizing that she was done, you know, like there was life beyond gymnastics, and uh, it wasn't fun anymore. And, you know, she had had issues in the past where she required support and medications to get through it, which suggested a bit of a more of that third option that you mentioned where there's more severe psychiatric issues. Uh, but then within the next few days, stories about the twisties came out. And, and in my mind, it kind of blunted, I think, the, uh, the edge of the story uh, and t- swerved away from severe mental illness and sport and then focused more on confidence and you know, things just getting in the way of performance and things like that. So, again, it's a safer story. If we just talk about performance issues in athletes, it's a much safer story, much easier to recognize and understand and find illustrations of it than the more abstract, behind-the-scenes, unseen depression, anxiety, ADHD. I read yesterday some mobiles also have ADHD. So there's a lot more, I think, under the surface than we recognize. And that's, I think, really the big picture of mental health slash mental illness in sport is like an iceberg. Nine-tenths of it is under the surface. We don't see it. We don't know all the details, but what we see on top often are manifestations of it in terms of behavior problems, anxiety, avoidance, those types of things. And and, and I agree with you 100%, and, and the reality is it really should be none of our business. That's a personal thing. Uh, absolutely. I agree. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there some of the things I read and heard describing what she did were atrocious. I mean, you know, it, it, it's amazing when somebody talks about a psychological issue, how they are insulted and degraded, but if they have a, you know, if they sprain a ligament or tear tear, tear something or break something, well, then they're not criticized. I mean, that's just the way sport that's is. That's right. That's right. I mean, 100%. so... so uh, it, go ahead. Well, it, again, it becomes... Um, the athletes are, are put in an impossible situation sometimes where if they can't play or perform or whatever due to, like, just let's think of somebody who's in an acute manic episode or severe depression, with suicidal thoughts, and just really, truly, from a psychological point of view, cannot focus enough or cannot maintain themselves enough to execute their sport. We don't hear about that at the time. They, they may be the ones who are put on, you know, uh, 
unable to play due to personal reasons lists or whatever. And truly, like you say, we don't really need to know that. We don't. It's none of our business to know who's dealing with those types of things. But it is managed and dealt with and talked about in a very different way than physical injuries. So why is it looked upon from your perspective? And I'm talking to Dr. Carla Edwards, a sports psychiatrist from Canada today. Why is it looked upon as a sign of weakness if an athlete talks about how they feel? Again, I think with the old culture of sport, it's interpreted as, well, they just can't handle the pressure. If I have two, two guys on that line and, and one guy is saying he's depressed and, and he's not feeling well, yet he's capable physically, and the other guy is not saying those things, and he's also capable physically, they're going to go with the other guy because you know, they're, they're going to not doubt his ability to perform. I think, I think mental health and mental illness scare a lot of people because they don't understand it. And most of our coaches and, and athlete entourage don't have the skill set or training or exposure to truly understand, you know, if, if an athlete's depressed, here's what it means. It's not something to be scared of. It's actually something if we approach properly, you know, the athlete can actually perform maybe better than they could otherwise. So that real the being scared of it, I think the word that pops in my mind as you're talking is fear. Okay, there, there. Yes. You know, people are scared, especially in sports. Sports is a tough. You know, if you're an athlete, you're tough. You're physically tough, and you got to be mentally tough. And there's something wrong with you if you're not mentally strong. So what I see, and I've seen this, like I said, I've I've had coaches that that I've interviewed with and talked to wouldn't hire me because no, no, because if I have you around then athletes are going to start talking to you and they're going to turn to you if something's wrong and they, and they don't you know I don't want them doing that they got to be tough they're weak if they have to go talk to a shrink right you I'm sure you've heard that many many times absolutely and my response absolutely. is actually and, actually you're the one who's weak because you're looking at it from the wrong perspective it's a sign of strength if you deal with who you are absolutely and i think also some of those the those individuals at the top become concerned about losing control of the situation and if they don't understand if they don't think they understand all the different dimensions of that athlete and what their behaviors and motivations are then they don't have control over them and what the outcome might be so i've had a lot of coaches try to to block me from their athletes when the athletes truly are struggling and it and it just leads to a fracture in relationships and it leads to the athlete seeking help behind the scenes or secretly so that the coach doesn't know because they truly are struggling and they truly are suffering and they truly want that help, but they fear and they've been told that if they talk to other people, they're not going to make the team or they're not going to start. So I, you and I are 100% in sync with everything we're both saying here. So to me, I think this starts with youth sports. I think, and, and this is something I've co-authored a book called Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports with Jeff Montgomery and Pete Malone both Hall of Fame coach and athlete themselves. And I think it starts with youth sports training coaches to deal with the psychological issues. To me, and this is why I mentioned confidence before, to me, uh, Dr. Evans, confidence is the key to everything. If if you can have a strong, high level of self-confidence, you're going to be able to overcome a lot of things. But if your self-confidence is shaky and weak, it's going to hinder you. And And to me, that starts with youth sports how athletes are taught. We have a chapter in our book called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. I think we have to teach coaches how to teach failure and how to deal with it rather than criticizing and condescending and yelling at people when they screw up. I agree with you 100%. The foundations are always in youth sports. And even to the point of, you know, encouraging 
uh, multi-sport participation. We know the, the challenges and the risks of uh, early sport specialization. So teaching the culture early, teaching the, the supports early, you know, even, you know, a lot of parents are involved with sports and coaching their kids. So I think it can lead to better parenting as well. But I also have a pretty large practice of youth athletes and, uh, you know, we see it develop early. I'm sure you would have seen it develop early, the tendencies, the criticisms and, and how they personalize and internalize things. Again, we have to remember that these young people don't have the cognitive structures to be able to, you know, hang on to salient information and dis- dismiss the things that are really harmful and useless. Um, they just tend to be sponges and soak it all up, and it's not always healthy. So I think it's a great place to start. When we come back from this next break and we finish up here, I'd like to talk about how we can build confidence in, in young athletes and specifically in coaches, and then how we can really embrace the whole topic of mental health and sports and educate people better because you and I are dealing with this on an individual basis. We need to help people out with this in a, in a bigger picture. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Dr. Carla Edwards, sports psychiatrist from Canada, who's worked with all kinds of Canadian Olympic athletes and all kinds of athletes up there, and she understands what it's about. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. Our topic today, the future of policing in America. But once you have a historical context, you understand why once there was professional policing in this country, it was really designed to patrol uh, slaves as well as other sort of new immigrant types who came to America. And so you understand better why there's pushback in the police department. They may want to do it, but it institutionally was uh, anchored in having that kind of mission. So maybe defund the police is the way to go. You know, start anew. I'm not sure. For more, watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting? Yeah. When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. 
She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And my guest today is Dr. Carla Edwards, a sports psychiatrist from Canada who's worked with Canadian Olympic athletes for a long time and herself is a Canadian Sport Hall of Fame volleyball player. So let me ask you this question. You, you, you are a very successful athlete yourself. Were there mental experts to help you when you played, or was it not around? I was uh, very blessed to have had a coach in university who was a sports psychologist. So she taught us and brought us through all the different strategies throughout all of my years there. So uh, initially, you know, you go to university, you know, top of your game, and you think that uh, – that you know how to, to get yourself in the right zone of performance, but you realize quickly, you know what, there's a lot to learn. So uh, I, I think the big key is, uh, for me anyway, was being open to something different and recognizing that, uh, you know, the, the, the my recipe for success that I thought I knew quite well um, actually could get even better. So um, just having having the, the key people in your life, those pivotal people who have the skill sets, uh, being able to create that belief and, and, and as an athlete needing to trust um, and seeing uh, ways that things could get better. So I, I was very fortunate, for sure, in my career. Well, you're much luckier than I was. If I knew the things I knew and when I got trained, I would have been a lot better tennis player than I was because mentally I always choked under pressure, and that's probably why I got into this profession. All right, so let's talk about the future. We obviously now are seeing the topic of mental health coming out in the press. It's, it's being exposed by great athletes like Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, Kevin Love. We're hearing all kinds of people talk about it now. How do we educate people about the importance of the psychological side of sports and the, the issue of mental health in sports, Carla? What, what do you think we need to do, and where should we start with this? Because I think, from my perspective, it starts at the youth level. Agreed. Yeah, I think there's an amazing window of opportunity here to get involved with something really great and disseminate those seeds. Uh, and, you know, people are going to be writing opinions and social media and such, and there'll be, there are lots, there's going to be lots written about it, but I think we need to have something organized uh, and really try to get at the heart of it. Now, one of my roles in my spare time is uh, the president of the International Society for Sports Psychiatry, and one of the initiatives that we're really looking at seriously is creating a, global, a co-leading a global commission on mental health and sports and, and creating collaborations with key organizations and, and individuals through the World Psychiatric Association, other mental health organizations, including psychologists, USOPC, IOC, but also youth sports uh, organizations to, to, again, let's get the leadership together and find a way to disseminate all the information, programming, whatever we need to do. Let's reach as many people as we possibly can. Uh, right now, I think a lot of us are preaching to the choir because people who are reading what we're writing understand and get what we're saying but uh, we want to even get it beyond that we want to get it to the ears of people who haven't read it yet or heard it yet so you know getting it to the key organizations nash in the various nations around the world um, that do create the programming for youth sports you know, youth development sport development i think that's where we need to go in the u.s there, there's been a lot of initiatives over the years that have tried to hit 
these uh, topics. And uh, several years ago at the ISSP, we, we were, had a project with the National High School Coaches Association where we created eight or ten modules for their coaches. It was going to be mandatory training around all the different topics of, of mental health and youth athletes that they can see. So how to, you know, uh, identify and detect mental illness in sport, you know, eating disorders, mood disorders, things like that, really just to create that foundational information Again, not to make them think that they need to know how to treat it, but they need to know what to do if they can identify it. Right, so, to identify, uh, yeah. yeah. If my, I, I've always said a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist, or in your case, a, a sports <laughs> psychiatrist. But I, I yeah. think I, I agree with you. Obviously, you and I are in sync with everything we're saying here, and I think it starts at the youth level. I think also really educating coaches about how they yeah. they talk and treat athletes. Yes. I mean – uh, let me ask you three definitions from your perspective. What's your definition of winning? Oh, winning for me, you know, that's evolved over the past two weeks since I was in Tokyo. Winning for me is emerging at the end of the day, knowing that you've done your best at something and you feel good about what you've done. Okay, we're, we're in sync on that. Okay, losing. Losing is not being successful in your endeavor, but being able to walk away from that with a, with a lesson. Okay. Yeah, I, I think losing losing to me is where you give up or quit, and you haven't put the best effort into it. But that's I I like what you said. Okay, self confidence. I think self confidence for me is belief in your abilities, regardless of situation. Okay. We, we, obviously, we're in the we're we're in the same same uh, mindset with everything we're saying here. So. Mental health in sports now is, is going to become talked about more and more. How do we educate people about the importance of it and, and, and try to get coaches especially to understand their role starting in the youth level and moving up? What do you think we have to do? I mean, you know, a coach may be a dad or a mom or a grand, grandparent or an uncle or an aunt who played the sport and they, they're, you know, they're, uh, child, the child needs somebody to coach. I'll, I'll help out, but they know exactly. nothing about maybe how they can impact a child positively or negatively, especially negatively. Some of the things they say. So, how do we educate coaches? What I think, because I think that's where this has to start. Absolutely. You know, some studies came out in the last couple of years which clearly illustrated that. You know, one of the prime, one of the top ten reasons why kids leave sport early, the age of twelve, is because of you know, the, the communication aspect and whether it's from a coach that's a non-family member or from how their parent is a coach. And then their parent is also their coach at home and in the car ride on the way home and 24 hours a day. So, uh, you know, that is a very big reason why kids leave sport. And if we want to look at retention in sport and, and enjoying enjoyment of sport and development as a person and as an athlete in a healthy way, um, we really need to teach how to how to manage the communication better. So I think it's really you know finding a way to get into those grassroots organizations on the the front end where you know when when a person is identified as going to be a coach of a team of whatever level, there needs to be mandatory programming and not just so that they can you know put it onto the background and click a box that they've done it, but some way that there's some sort of interaction that we rec- we can understand that these people are getting it. A certificate program and real consequences if things are not being adhered to because we know that damage can be done. That's irreversible. You know, as, I, as I've always said, you can have two athletes of physical strength, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. To develop a stronger mind, I think it starts with developing the right coaching at, at the youth level. And 
I'm a big, big advocate for coaches having a practice one day where they don't take the balls and, and bats and gloves and, and, and the athletic equipment out into the field, but they sit down with their athletes and just have a, a, a talking session. How are you doing? How are we feeling? Talking about these different things. Talk about success and failure, winning and losing. And, and letting athletes know it's okay to screw up because it's part of sport. I have people who constantly criticize me saying it's a sign of weakness when you're telling people it's okay when they screw up. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think it's inevitable that people are going to screw up sometimes. Uh, so if you if you give them the idea that if they screw up, they're a failure, then whenever they they make a mistake, they're going to feel like they're a failure. That's just going to undermine everything and any attempts to develop confidence and belief. I think I, I try to approach it as if you make, like, find me an athlete in this world in any sport that has never made a mistake. It's impossible, right? Even the best of the best make mistakes. But it's really about what, what you do after that. What do you do? to collect yourself and get yourself ready for that next play as soon as you make that mistake? What do you walk away from that mistake being ready and better for the next time? And, and that's I th- where I think the focus needs to be. Yeah, and I think that's where understanding yourself, understanding how you feel psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, nutritionally, all the different facets that, that yes. make up who we are is important. So just like taking the time to understand what you eat and how that fuels your body how the, the workouts affect you physically, psychologically as much. Dr. Edwards, it's been a truly pleasure having you on with me today. I'd love to have you on again. How can people reach you if they'd like to get a hold of you? Because I know our shows are podcasted all over the place. I'm sure there'll be some people who'd like to get a hold of you. How can they get, get in touch with you? Sure. I have a website. Uh, it's, it's a pretty long one. It's synergysportmentalhealth.ca, so all one word. Uh, you can, or you can Google search me with Synergy Mental Health, and you should be able to find me on the web, and I have an email attached to that website. Well, I'd love to have you on again. This has been a, a really fascinating interview. Obviously, you and I think the same way here about all this, but I think the most important thing that you and I can do is, is try to educate people about why mental health, the psychological aspect of sports is so important, and help people learn that it's okay to screw up and make mistakes because we all do but we can learn from and get better from it i want to thank you so much for joining me today it's been a true pleasure having you on likewise and i'm happy to come back anytime okay dr carla edwards sports psychiatrist can has joined me today i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs there are a lot of ways you can reach me my email is drj at winnersunlimited.com my office number is 816-561-5556 you can also contact me on twitter at, at drj sports psych my website's winnersunlimited.com. I really hope you can get a lot of people to listen to this interview today and get, especially coaches who coach kids, let them understand the importance of all this. Because you know what? We're all people in the end. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. You can be a great physical person in terms of your athletic abilities, but psychologically, we all feel and hurt, cry, laugh, have fun. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. Our topic today, the pandemic or post-pandemic, as we talk about the human and work-related hiccups and possible residuals resulting from the pandemic. Now, the takeaway for me or the startling reality, for me at least, was that I knew this pandemic has had its impact. I mean, over 600,000 Americans dead, so many Americans sick. 
and we know our schedules would change, but it seems to have pulled the covers off of a lot of other issues, a lot of other fissures within our society, and particularly in the area of the workspace. For more, watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.